buying behavior has changed. Prospects don't click on links and emails anymore, and they don't watch the videos you spend hours creating every week. Instead, send personalized gifts and memes using Vidyu. You can quickly create engaging, personalized content that immediately grabs your prospect's attention, helps you stand out in the inbox, and does it all without forcing them to click anything or go anywhere. Head over to vidyou.io slash salescast to sign up for free and spend less time getting your messages across and more time selling. In the world of sales, you either sink, swim, or break through to the next level. My name's Colin Mitchell, and this is Sales Transformation, a new kind of sales show designed to bring you through the epic, life-changing moments of elite sellers so you can experience your own sales transformation. All right, welcome to another episode of Sales Transformation. Today, I've got a awesome guest for you as always. I've got Wayne Mullins. He's the founder of Ugly Mug Marketing. Uh, pretty clever name there, I love it. Uh, Wayne's a husband and a father of four. Kind of crazy like me, I've got three and number four on the way. Founder and CEO, entrepreneur and author. He's a generous soul, risk taker, and an out of the box, against the grain thinker and leader. My kind of person. I know that Wayne and I are going to have a ton of fun today. Wayne, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm well, Colin. How are you today, sir? Good. Uh, that's the first time I actually read your bio. I hadn't checked it out previously, and I was like, oh, we, Wayne and I actually have more in common than I thought. <laughs> yeah. No, no. Lots of uh, big family. Lots of kids running around keeping us uh, pulling our hair out, and yeah, it's all good. Yeah, yeah, they get um, they got a lot more to pull on for you than me. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that is true. I got to keep it this way while while I can. Got to keep it long while I can. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I mean, I can tell you, and I'm sure you experience this. Whenever you tell people you're having your fourth kid, they look at you like you're absolutely nuts. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely. I I can completely relate to that. And you know, the the next line they usually ask is. You do know what causes that, right? Like, yeah, yeah, we, we know. Thank you. Do, do you know how to avoid that? You know, you can. Yeah. You know, you can go to the doctor to take care of that, right? <laughs> yeah, there's things you can do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Funny, we just found out that we were having our fourth um, about a few months ago, and uh, and and then after that, I, I called the doctor, you know, to make the appointment. And uh, they're like, yeah, we're booked solid through October. <laughs> I'm like, okay. <laughs> Lots of other people had that same idea. Yeah, clearly, clearly. All right, awesome. Um, let's jump in. Uh, we're gonna, I want to learn more about your story, you know, how you kind of got to where you're at and what your own sort of transformation story has been. And then we can pull out some learning lessons and see where it goes and have some fun. Sound good? Sounds great, man. Looking forward to it. Awesome. All right. So where did it all start for Wayne Mullins? Sure. So my journey in sales actually started my junior year of college. And for whatever reason, I still don't know. I need to ask. My parents gave me some CDs by this gentleman of the name Zig Ziglar. Again, uh -huh. no clue, no context as to why this happened. Okay. But there was Christmas morning CDs by Zig Ziglar. And so I started listening to these CDs and Zig Ziglar did a phenomenal job of selling me on the profession of sales. 
So from mm. that point forward, I knew that I had to go in sales when I graduated and got out of school. And that led me down this path, this sales path. Um, and to be honest with you, Colin, I've been a student, a fan of sales ever since that time. And it's all thanks to, to Mr. Zig Ziglar. Wow. Yeah. And sales pretty much has a bad rap in most cases. So for him to sell you on the idea of getting into sales, he's clearly good. (laughs) Yeah. I would, I would encourage anyone who's not familiar with him, just, you know, go to YouTube search. Um, his stuff's old at this point. Um, he passed away, I would guess probably 10 ish years ago, something like that. Um, but just really foundational sales skills, um, you know, one of his famous lines was nothing happens until somebody sells something. Yeah. And, you know, we, we even use that line, talk about that line in my company today. We talk about the importance of selling. Yeah. Yeah. We like to say over here at SalesCast, we have two departments, sales and sales support. <laughs> That's, it. <laughs> That's it. Absolutely. That's it. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned YouTube because there might be some people in here that are like, what's a CD? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, a, I'm showing my age a little bit when I say CD. Um, but yeah, that was the thing, man. Put those CDs in and, and listen. The other thing Zig Ziglar talked a lot about was what he used to call Automobile University. And so he would talk about never get in your vehicle and go anywhere unless you're listening to something that's educational, something motivational, something that's going to fill your head with things that are useful, things that you can use in your life, use in your career. And um, in many ways, he he transformed my future in terms of my willingness and desire to always learn, to always be growing, to always be developing yeah. myself and my skill set. I love that you said that earlier, too, because, you know, there's so many people in sales or even just entrepreneurs in general that they, you know, reach a certain point and they think they know it all. Right. And, and as soon as you stop learning or think, you know, you know, better than, than maybe somebody else, you're in big trouble. Uh, cause I even learned people, things from people that have, are just getting started in sales. You know, I've had some frontline, you know, people that are early in their career that are doing some new innovative things. And I'm like, wow, that's really awesome. I think I'm going to give it a try. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, that mindset is just a whole mindset of, um, no matter where we are, no matter what situation, no matter who is in the room, so to speak, there's always a lesson to be learned if we're willing to look for that lesson and keep our eyes open to it. Yeah. Yeah. It can be tough too, because, you know, you don't, you're not always going to agree with a hundred percent of, you know, because there's so many opinions about different things and so much content, you got to kind of filter what you consume. And, uh, you know, you're never going to, you don't have to agree a hundred percent with everything that maybe somebody says to be open to, you know, learning or trying something that they're talking about. Yeah, totally agree with that. One of the lessons, Collins, that I've learned over the years, and I I learned this lesson, unfortunately, it was a very painful experience or or multiple experiences Mm -hmm. when I learned this. And it's that there's a big difference between advice and opinion. Any single person that walks into a room, any of your friends, any of your family, they can give you their opinion about what Mm -hmm. you should do in a certain situation. But those who can give you true advice, um, that's a different set of people. That's a different group of people. Um, So one thing that we often, I think, make mistakes on in our careers, in our businesses, as we're learning new things is we turn to people for um, what we believe to be advice but instead it's merely their opinion. So they have no context 
other than they know us, we've explained the situation and they start offering this advice to us. Um, but really it's not advice, it's an opinion. So that's, that's something that I've, that I've learned over the years and I've learned that the hard way I've taken people's opinions and believed it to be valid advice, implemented it only to learn that, that was a huge costly mistake. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you know, sometimes people are going to want to be nice and they don't want to hurt your feelings and they might tell you what they think you want to hear, even though it's not totally the truth. That's, that's kind of one example of getting some, getting an opinion, right? Right. And, yep. and the other example is, you know, they might tell you what they think is best based on no real experience or not full context of, 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 of the situation. No, totally agree. So I've kind of identified three core things to look at to determine, is this someone worthy of giving me advice? Um, just super mm. quick. Number one is, have they actually done the thing that I'm attempting to do or the thing that I'm attempting to avoid? Have they actually been through that? Number two, maybe this person just has head knowledge. In other words, they've studied this particular subject area, this subject matter. Therefore, they're mm -hmm. entitled to give some opinion around this or advice around this. And the third one would be people who have been firsthand witnesses to whatever the situation may be. So those are the three things I look at to determine, okay, is this person capable of advice or is it merely an opinion? Now, both are important. Don't get me wrong, but I'm going to take someone's advice, someone who's from one of those three categories much more seriously than someone who's just giving an opinion. Mm. Wow, that makes it really simple. That that makes it really simple to uh, kind of validate <laughs> the opinion or advice that you're getting, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And again, I think you know, for for anyone in sales, like you, like you, I kind of derailed the conversation initially, but there's just so much information out there, and it's it's not about you know diving in wholeheartedly and and following one person's advice all the way to the end. It's about, like you said, kind of picking and choosing the pieces that work well for you, work well for your situation. Um, but in my opinion, overlaying that context of, is this someone worthy of following their advice or is it merely an opinion that they're giving? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's, let's go back a little bit here, right? So you get the Zig Ziglar CDs and maybe your parents were like, you know, Hey, this is the best way for Wayne to start self-supporting for himself, giving some Zig Ziglar CDs. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Um, and you're pretty fired up about wanting to get into sales, which is pretty unusual, right? And so, so what was what was Wayne's first sales job? What were you doing? What were you selling? Let's talk through yeah. that. First sales job, um, I was selling manufactured housing. That's the first job I landed, and um, I, I learned a tremendous amount about sales in that first sales job. Lots of, lots of scrapes and bruises and lots of no's along the way. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, building up that, that thick skin, as I like to say, right. Being able to deal with the, uh, emotional roller coaster of, of a sales role. Um, and so how long did you do that for? So I was in that role for about a year and a half and was finally offered or was finally able to get a position in more of the area I wanted to be in, which was in marketing, advertising sales. Um, so I moved into that role, was in that role for about two years. And it was over the course of that two year period that I really started honing my sales skills, actually got 
really good at sales. Um, and I, I use the context there, or the, the reference in terms of where I ranked in the company in terms of sales and my performance in that company, which was a national company. Um, but Colin, I don't know if you can relate to this or some of your listeners can, but what happened was this dangerous little idea popped in my head. I started looking at my paycheck and then I started looking at the sales reports. In other words, what I was actually selling, the amount of money that I was bringing in. And I said, mm -hmm. huh, there's a huge gap between the amount I'm bringing into this company and the amount I'm actually getting paid. So what if I actually went out and did something for myself? And so that was the beginning of the end of my corporate sales job in launching into selling for myself and, and starting my own company at that point. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think uh, I definitely had that same experience. So when I first got into sales and sort of worked my way up to the top and then and then was looking at the paycheck being like, I know the numbers I put on the board and here's how much I'm bringing home. And it doesn't feel that amazing as it did when I was putting the numbers up on the board, <laughs> you know? Um, but I think there's, there's a huge learning lesson there, right? Like if you are, if you do have that entrepreneurial spirit or entrepreneurship bug, uh, or if you have those same sort of thoughts that, you know, Wayne and I are talking about sales is an essential skill before you take the entrepreneur jump or leap. There's, you know, so many entrepreneurs that think I have the best idea ever, or I have the best product ever, or I know how to execute on these deliverables. But if you lack those sales skills, it doesn't matter how good your product is or how good you are at creative deliverables or whatever the case is, if you can't sell those, nobody's going to care. Completely. Completely and totally agree with that. I would, I would say, so, you know, our business now, we work with entrepreneurs from across the country. And I would say that if I were going to tell an entrepreneur starting a new company today, if they came to me and said, what's the one skill I need to, to launch and grow a successful business, I would say sales. Um, it, it's underlying every single area of the business, no matter if you're the startup, no matter if you've got 10 to 20 employees or you've got thousands of employees, sales mm -hmm. is what drives the numbers. Sales is what drives the cash flow, which is ultimately the lifeblood of any organization, any business. And it goes back to sales. So completely agree with that. And it helps when a you know, when the founder or some, at least the co-founder or something, somebody on the founding team, you know, values that the sales department, you know, and, and understands like, Hey, this is the only department that is bringing revenue in and everything else is, is an expense. Right. And, um, and so I think if, yeah, you know, if, if you're thinking about starting a business or going down the entrepreneurship route, go get some good, solid sales experience before taking that leap, because I think it's the most valuable thing. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think one other just note on that and kind of reflecting back on my career jumps, you know, so I left a, a corporate job, sales job, um, really good pay, really good benefits, eight to five, Monday through Friday. And I jumped out and started this thing from scratch, from the ground up, um, you know, and in that moment, it can feel like you're being reckless, like you're throwing away this great career. Um, but yeah. what I've learned is there's a big difference between um, being reckless and taking risk. So 
if you think about it like a door, so there's two different types of doors. There's a one-way door. So in other words, you walk through that door and it's really difficult, if not impossible, to get back to the other room. And then there's Mm -hmm. swinging doors. So a swinging door, you walk through, you go through. If you don't like the room, you can get back through. Yes, it's a few extra steps. Yes, it's some hassle, but you can get back through. So the difference between those two things, if you you think about the position or the situation that you may be in and you're facing a decision, um, you know, when we're in those moments, it feels like we're being reckless. We're throwing away this career. But you have to ask yourself, you know, is this a one-way door or a two-way door? So for me, I could have maybe not gone back to work for that same exact company, but could I have gone back to work in the industry? Could I have gone to work for their competitor? Could I have gotten another sales job, corporate sales job somewhere? And the answer is yes, I could have, right? So, um, you know, just as people are making those decisions about their career and career moves, um, for me, that's just been a very helpful framework to think through. Yeah, I, I can see that perspective where it could be a little scary for people, you know, getting ready to, to sort of take that leap and feel like, Hey, am I throwing away a good opportunity to take this? But, but the risk is worth it. You know, it's, it's, I I think you would agree. Um, it's a lot of hard work. You, you definitely should know what you're signing up for before taking that leap because there's a lot of things that I think people aren't aware of that they, you know, are, are going to now have to, you know, be concerned about or have to be involved with that they never had to worry about before. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, and you mentioned it earlier when we were, when we were chatting, it's kind of part of it is developing that thick skin, the ability to hear no over and over again and keep going. I mean, if, if anything defines an entrepreneurial life, it is that ability to hear no, to make adjustments if necessary and move on to the next no. And eventually you do that long enough, consistent enough, you're going to get to the yes. Um, but for so many people who jump into, you know, if we just take the entrepreneurial path, they jump in and they don't have the calluses. They, they're not used to hearing no. And so it only takes a few no's before they throw in the towel and they walk away from their dreams, which tying it back to what you said earlier, Colin, that's, that's why the sell skills are so important in the entrepreneurial path, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and if you're not, and if you're, you know, this is always, this is a topic that comes up often. Like if you're not a, let's say you're a more technical founder or you're, you know, more of a marketing person, less of a salesperson or whatever the case is, I I would highly suggest getting a co-founder that is, you know, driven by, you know, sales and building relationships and is passionate about that. Because if that's not a skill that you're willing to acquire, or if that's not, you know, something that you're willing to fall on your face and learn and get better at, then there needs to be somebody on that founding team that is willing to do that. Yeah, I I would agree with that. So tell me a little bit about the work that you guys do now. Um, and how long you've been doing that, and let's kind of you know dig into that. Sure, absolutely. So, Ugly Mug Marketing, um, January this coming year will be our thirteenth year in business. Um, you know, we originally started out focusing primarily on what's called direct response marketing. Um, that was our primary focus, and mm-hmm. 
over the course of launching the company, I was very adamant that that was the thing. Like that was the thing everyone in our community, in our area needed. They needed to do direct response. And so I took my sales skills and I was going out into the marketplace attempting to convince business owners to give up what they had done in the past for something better. And I learned so many lessons in that process. I, I learned that I was trying to take people too far in a direction. I was trying to push them too far out of their comfort zone. So the first couple of years of, of this business, um, I sold a lot of things, but they were, you know, our two, my, my wife and I's two new vehicles. They were our new house that we had bought. They were the land that we bought, the boat that we had bought. It was all the things that we had accumulated in growing the previous business that we had. Um, all because of my stubbornness <laughs> as, as someone who, um, you know, was in sales, as someone who believed I knew what was best for these people. Um, and, and really for me that those first two years of immense struggle, um, really helped hone my sales skills and helped teach me, um, number one, that, you know, for sales so often for salespeople, so often we become very short sighted. In other words, it's get the sale, close the deal, move on to the next, get the sale, close the deal, move on to the next. And what I've discovered and what has really fueled our, our business is there's a whole nother element. There's a whole nother aspect. And that is the ability to take existing customers and turn them into what we would call evangelists. So as a salesperson with a little bit of intention, with a little bit of effort, I can take a customer and convert them into an evangelist. And the beauty about having evangelists out there for you, whether that's as a company or that's for you as a salesperson, is they go out and share your message, your name with their friends and family. And you know, if you were to survey business owners, if you were to survey salespeople and ask them, where do your best customers, where do your best clients come from? The, the resounding answer is always word of mouth. Right, a friend told a friend, or a family member told a friend, and yet as salespeople, we often completely neglect our ability to convert our existing customers into evangelists for ourselves, our brand, our product, our services. Yeah, no, I I love this topic. So, give me some sort of examples of how you would turn a customer into an evangelist. Yeah, absolutely. I think the first thing to start with, just super quick, Colin, is, you know, in sales, we always talk about, you know, they have to know about you, they have to like you, they have to trust you. Those are the three things we know that have to be true. And if those things are done well, we execute well on those things. At some point there, they pull out the wallet, money exchanges hands. So, you know, whether that's through you as a salesperson or through that <clears throat> the company, the website, whatever it may be. Um, but to take someone from a customer to an evangelist, the next element is they have to actually love the solution that we've provided. And when I say love, I know that's very like a cliche. That's, that's an easy word to throw around. But specifically, we have to, our product, our service, us as the person delivering it, making sure it's there correctly, facilitated correctly, delivered, whatever it may be, um, we have to ensure that it exceeds the expectations. And this is where so many salespeople get in trouble. We, we all know the adage or the saying, you know, you should always under promise over deliver. And when we do that, when we actually live up to that, in other words, we under promise our product or service 
us as the person delivering it, right? Facilitating the sales process. If we indeed over deliver, we create exceeded expectations. In other words, we've exceeded those expectations. We give the chance for them to love what we've provided. The other simple element that, that we have to have is, uh, is two, two factors to it or two parts to it. One, we have to give them the language. What language do we want them to use when they go out and evangelize or when they go out and share with others? What words, what verbiage, what, what terminology should they be using? And then the other element part of that is what tools, what tools can we give them to make it easy for them to share, for them to talk to others about us? Um, one, you know, one person or one area where I learned this from and really took it to heart was um, a gentleman by the name of Joe Girard. I don't know if you're familiar with his name or any of your listeners are, but he holds the Guinness Book of World Records for um, car sales. He, in his career, 15 year career, he sold 13,000 cars. None of them fleet, all of them one by one. Um, most of his career, uh, for, for the bulk of his career, he personally sold more cars every single year than 95% of all the entire dealerships combined did. So in other words, a dealership with five salespeople, 10 salespeople, whatever, he outsold by himself more than 95 of the dealerships, 95% of dealerships around the country did as companies. Um, and his method was simply this. Every single time he sold a car, those people went on his database or on his mailing list. And every single month, 12 months a year, he sent them a handwritten card or handwritten note signed by him. And so you can imagine this compounding effect over time. Every single month, these people, and this was back in the 60s and 70s, so times are different. Tools are different. Technology is different. Obviously, we can we can streamline yeah. a lot of this, but every single month, all of these customers are getting something in the mail from Joe Girard. So when their friend says, "Hey, I'm looking for a car. Do you like your, you know, whatever brand it is? Who do you think they're going to say to call? Right? Joe it's a Girard. No yeah. <laughs> Who's going to be top of mind for them? Joe Girard every time. Right. So. Um, I love this, right? So uh, we're talking about how do you make a customer into evangelist and, and you kind of broke it down in, in, in a couple of parts here, right? So number one is like, love what you do, but over deliver, right? And, and, and I think that's where a lot of people, that's where a lot of people fall short right there is that first piece. You can't, it doesn't matter if you stay top of mind, they're not going to be an evangelist if you haven't over delivered because I think it's so common for a lot of salespeople to overpromise that it makes it really hard to overdeliver. Completely agree with that. So that's that first piece, right? Is you need to underpromise and overdeliver so that when they when you do deliver, they're like, wow, they have that wow moment. That's something that me and my co-founder Chris are always trying to talk about. How do we give our customers another wow moment? You know, what can we do for them? What can we do to sort of level up the service just a little bit or do a little bit more? Um, you know, where, where they are, do become evangelists, you know? And so, so there's, there's that. And then <clears throat> the ability to stay top of mind with them, right? Because it, like you mentioned, Wayne, it's so common, get the deal and then move on, right? Like, mm -hmm. you know, customer's not my problem anymore. They're, you know, customer success or support or whatever, they get to deal with them now, you know? And, and so many reps, once they cash that commission check, they're nowhere to be found, yeah, and it's so short-sighted because you think about it, you have the ability 
to turn those people with very simple actions into evangelists for you. And, and anyone listening to this would say that the easiest person for you to close, the easiest person for you to sell is the person who came through as a referral through word of mouth, right? Because what happens is when they get passed over to us um, as a referral, as a word of mouth, the person who referred them, the evangelist who told them about us, they're imparting some of their trust, some of their liking, some of their knowing about us to that person they're sharing with us, right? So we don't have to do as much work to convince them to know about us, to convince them to like us, to convince them to trust us because it's been imparted by the person who shared the message with them initially. And, and you you said it spot on. We've got to be disciplined <clears throat> to not think of the point of transaction as we're done and we're moving on to the next one. But look for the little tiny things. And I mean little tiny things. You know, think about maybe if you've gone to a doctor before and, and you were sick or you broke an arm, broke a leg, whatever it may be, and, and you go home and the next day the doctor actually calls you and says, hey, I just want to check in and see how you're doing. First of all, yeah. it blows you away, right? Yeah, yeah. How hard is that? that? Yeah, yeah, I've had that happen for me personally, even for my pet, like, you know, brought the dog into the vet and like a day or two later that calls, Hey, we're just calling to see how, you know, Zoe is doing. It's like, you're doing what? <laughs> like, I'm never going to go anywhere ever again. And I'm going to tell yeah. all my friends about this place. Cause it's so awesome. Exactly. And what I would say, and I know, you know, because in many ways, I'm still in the same situation, um, although I don't necessarily do direct sales every single day, day in and day out. But um, I know that there's so many time constraints on us, right? It seems like the idea or the commitment to do that one additional thing for each customer, um, it's like, how are we going to find the time to do that? But here's what happens over time. <clears throat> the compounding effect of doing those actions begin to multiply. They begin to build up because you go from one evangelist out there to two, to three, to four, and it's an amplification effect. It's no longer just a one-to-one. -one. It's now you have this army, if you will, of evangelists out there who are yeah. willing and ready to talk about you, to talk about your product, your service, anytime someone brings up the need for whatever the solution is your product or service offers. Yeah. Yeah. So, so taking those extra steps, making time to do it are essential and <clears throat> finding a way to stay top of mind so that, you know, when somebody, when a need does come up within their, you know, immediate network, you are the person that they think of. Yep. And technology now, Colin, you know, there's so many wonderful tools that make it easier. They automate things for us to help us do that. Um, we just have to be disciplined. We have to take the time. We have to invest the time up front to put those processes into place, put those systems into place. And again, the compounding effect over time is, is just significant. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't, maybe you can't write handwritten notes to everybody every month like Joe Girard, but you know, what would be some examples that you have that, you know, you guys are doing over there, um, that you see working really well to, you know, kind of amplify staying top of mind and, and turning your customers into brand evangelists. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, step number one, I'm, I'm going to step back one slight thing is to get clear about what the customers actually expect. So we can talk about over prom, you know, under promise, over deliver all day long, but until you're crystal clear about what it is exactly that they're expecting, 
you can't know if you're over delivering you're under delivering you simply don't know you're making assumptions <clears throat> so what we encourage people to do is write down on a sheet of paper what do they expect in other words when they call what do they expect in terms of me returning the phone call when they you know place the order what do they expect in terms of delivery all of those things go through and write down what they actually expect that way you now have a sheet of paper you now have something that serves as a litmus test for yourself are we actually over delivering um, in, in terms of actual things that people can do? I mean, I love pen and paper. I love handwritten thank you notes. Um, we still use them all the time. Um, we're not we're not a high volume business, so we're not selling you know hundreds or hundreds of people every single month. So we still handwrite thank you notes every single month, every single person who makes a decision with us. Um, others would be in terms of automation. You know, put people in an email, send them an email. I just want to personally thank you for taking the time to buy from me. It really means a lot to me, you know, so customize it to them. Another thing, record videos. We have clients who will record videos on their iPhone and send it to them, text it to them, email it to them. Thank you so much. I just want to take a minute to say thank you for choosing to do business with me, with us. Um, really appreciate it. If there's anything I can do, let me know. That one little 15 second clip delivered to their phone, delivered to their inbox, will immediately separate you from 99% of other salespeople out there. Your product, your service, all of those things. Um, and then automation things, you know, this is where you may have to get involved with your you know, tech team or whatever it may be, but what are the things that can be done to automate so after a purchase is done that we can show up in front of them so that we can consistently remind them that we're here so that we can give them the language and the tools to help them share with other people. Um, all of those things go a long, long way. But the problem is, at least speaking from my own experience, is we get so busy that we don't stay consistent in those things. So we do it for a little bit. We're excited about it. We're going to do this. And then we get busy and we stop. And then a few months later, we pick it back up and then we stop. And what happens is we never get the momentum built up enough to feel the full effects of it. And so I would, I would challenge anyone listening to be consistent, set a goal for yourself. Okay. It's going to be one extra phone call a day, not to sell somebody new, but to follow up with someone who already bought or one handwritten thank you note a week, whatever it is, set those goals, be consistent. And as I love to say, consistency will create miracles for you. Yeah, I think consistency is hard for for a lot of people, and, and and it's such a common pattern, like you mentioned. So staying consistent with these things and just creating a little bit of space to do them on a regular basis will go a long way. Wayne, thanks so much for coming on today. Uh, really enjoyed uh, you know digging into some of these topics and learning a little bit more about yourself. Uh, where can people connect with you, learn more, get into your world, all that good stuff? What are we going to include in the show notes for them? Absolutely. The simplest place, Colin, is just our website. It's uglymugmarketing.com. Um, there, you know, we got email addresses, phone numbers, all of our social channels are linked there. That's the easiest place to go. Awesome. We will drop the link there for you guys in the show notes. If you enjoyed today's episode, please, please write us a review, share the show with your friends. It really does help us out. And as always, we are listening for your feedback. Hey, you stuck around. That tells me you're serious about your own sales transformation. If you're tired of doing things the old way and want to get started in your journey with other people on the same path, head over to salescast.community. 
and crush your numbers on your leaderboard. Yeah, it's free. Salescast.community. Send me a DM with your best pitch and mention this ad, and I might even give you free access to our best templates.